One of the things I know salespeople do By the way, the sound you hear poorly. is free healthcare. <laughs> well, we just talked about that earlier. <laughs> there they go. Heroes of the day in Canada, in Canada. James, why do you hate sales engineers? Carrie, why do you hate uh, sellers? When you go talk to somebody, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to want to find out why they should call you back or why they should answer the phone or why they should return that email. And they're going to look you up. And if they don't see a good reason to engage with you, then you've lost before you even got a chance to talk to them. Very frank. New business is what pays the bills and keeps the lights on. From the Demo Stack Studios in Scottsdale, Arizona, this is Go to Market This Week. I have a fun life, but this is pretty cool. Bringing James Buckley from JB Sales to Toronto. We're at Young Dundas Square. This is Times Square, Canada. Welcome to the Six, my guy. Hey, man. Thanks for having me, dude. I love it here. He has already met more Canadians than maybe I have in my life. Like, yeah. I can't go five feet without him striking up a conversation. The magnet is out this morning. <laughs> I love that. James, let's talk about, you know, JB Sales obviously is the place to go and get your sales training. But I think what's interesting is that there's so many different levels, obviously, to the yeah. sales game. Yeah. Let's talk about being a new hire SDR going to be a ramped up SDR. What are some of the things that you really want a new SDR to really learn to get to that next level up of being ramped? I think the number one skill an SDR can, can really focus in on is time management and task management. And those are two very specific things because we have to manage a pipeline, mm -hmm. but we also have to manage all of our time. And if we don't learn to block off time on our calendars early in our careers, our careers develop and it becomes very chaotic and stressful and we can really get burned out. And when burnout happens, we lose the passion. And if it happens six months in, SDRs tend to shy away or they start aiming for the next job and stop focusing on the job that they have. And both of those outcomes are no bueno, right? Because we have to be able to do the job we have if we want to earn the job that we want. We can't focus on the job that we want without doing the job we have well. So. Time management is going to allow them to put things on their calendar and really get things done so that they can hit those numbers consistently and earn the right to move forward in their careers. So let's talk about those things when it yeah. comes to time blocking. It sounds easy, like just block the time. Yeah. But, but what are those activities that oh, yeah. they need to be blocking off the time for? Okay, so every day we have activities that are not related to our revenue pipeline. Okay. No matter what that might be. If it's list management, fine. If it's content creation, fine. If it's anything at all that doesn't immediately impact your revenue, schedule that stuff in the mornings. Block off your first hour to get all of those non-revenue generating tasks out of the way. And then when it comes to your call blocking, people make the mistake of forgetting, especially in the US, this is extremely true in the US, and probably in Canada too, East and West have a three hour time difference. If you're gonna put a call block on, put it in the afternoon so that you don't have to worry about that three hour difference. Calling somebody at 5 a.m. is probably gonna end you up on their shit list, not on their, oh, I really wanna to talk to James list, right? That is not a good thing. So put the call block there. When it comes to emails, it takes a little bit of time to customize, personalize, be relevant, personalize at the same time. Because it takes time, you wanna make sure you're allocating time for research. And pick your five accounts that you're gonna send customized emails to and find the talking points for those and put them all in a spreadsheet so it's easy to plug them into your, your templated message that you're gonna send. 
Nothing wrong with having a template, but there is something wrong with the batch and blast method of 2015. How do you customize at scale then? Uh, this, so customize at scale or personalize at scale? Personalize at scale. Personalizing at scale, I think, comes down to the first 15% of your message. Most people scan their inboxes. Yep. When you look at that process, what you're looking for are two things. One, stuff from people I don't know that I didn't ask for, and it gets a checkbox. Two, shit that's clearly automated, and I don't really have to open it to know this. <laughs> checkbox. Then we scroll up to the top, and we hit the trash can. And the stuff that's left is the stuff we actually read. So if you're gonna customize or personalize your messaging at scale, what you wanna do is find the first 15% and really dial it in. This sounds like, I saw you guys won that great award the other day. I'd love to get that story. That's clearly about me and you keeping up with me. Hey, great post yesterday. I saw the show and what you said was X. This way, they see that when they scan and they go, this is a human being that actually follows me, not some bot or some random message from a marketing advertiser somewhere that I'm not connected to at all. Write that down. <laughs> also, for the record, Canada has four, four, four and a half time zones, five Woo! time zones, because Newfoundland is a half an hour ahead. So Woo! we'll teach you that. We're going to go province by province today. So we talked about going from a, a new SDR to a ramped SDR. What is the key jump from going from a ramped SDR to an established rest, uh, SDR, let's say who's hitting their, their meetings like 80% of the time, so or quota 80% of the time. So, so I, I believe that that's the stage. There, there are several stages. The one you talked about before, zero to ramped SDR, and then the second stage. The second stage is ramped SDR to successful SDR. I've always defined a successful SDR as hitting their quota, their meeting quota, at least 80% of the time. Because they hit it 80% of the time, that makes them successful. That's the marker. Some of the key factors there. These people are very good at allocating the time that they spend on outreach. L literally outreach. But here's the other factor. They find new business. They don't come back and constantly follow up with the same pipeline of people over and over and over again. No. They find new business. Let's be very frank. Very frank. New business is what pays the bills and keeps the lights on. New conversations are the win. So that's, I think, something that they do very well is that they talk to strangers more often than average sales reps. They want the new conversation because it's one they've never had before. It's not a follow-up. It's super wide. Look at that big that's ass a good, head. That's a good looking. That's, a, that's, a good looking that's not a melon. It's a Malone. <laughs> <laughs> This is why I'm in content, because this is what the fuck I do all day. I hang out with interesting, funny people and have great conversations about sales. Content is the road to connection. Never forget. Actually, Todd Clouser from Refine Labs had a great TikTok the other day, and he was talking about the creator economy. His argument was that content-led growth may, well, actually, he said will replace SDRs. I don't know if it will replace them, but I think it will be a requirement for SDRs. I think SDRs will soon be expected to have a presence that draws new business. And I think that's a very smart requirement for businesses that put SDRs at the front. Let's be frank. SDRs are the first impression, the tip of the spear, usually the first contact point for any outbound presence. If that's true, then you kind of need them out there talking about the things that they do and the people that they serve right. so that those people can find them easier and they actually earn the credibility to have a conversation much easier than they would a cold call with a script that's clearly 
kind of haphazardly passionate. So I think creator market, yes, but creator market means nothing if it doesn't equal revenue, and that's where the SDRs come into play. You need to tie yourself to revenue. If you're in marketing, if you're in sales, whatever your role is, you need to somehow tie yourself yeah. to revenue. Yeah. It's the future of, I, I don't think just SaaS, but I think the B2B space. I, I, so, so I think it's the future of employment as well. Let's just, let's just tackle a big monster right here. If you are, I'm fine with it, I'm a large mammal, I'll, I'll tackle it right now. If you are a young person today, you are looking for an employee, an employer that you can be passionate about, that you actually care about. If that employer is enabling you to build a social presence that you've desired for a long time as a young person in 2023, then you're probably going to gravitate towards that employer. This means that you're going to stay longer, right. learn more, right. be more successful, hold more, wear more hats, hold more responsibility, grow more professionally, and the list goes on and on. The creator economy is a doorway to better employment in the modern age for younger employees that want a brighter future. Well, and I think what's important is like, you know, and I'm not going to put you on the spot, but if you were looking for a job, I don't think you'd ever apply for a job again. I think if you just put out a post and said, hey, free agent, I mean, you're going to have a, you're going to have a lineup. So that's, that's the reality of the situation. I will reference a friend of mine, Coca Sexton, who I believe landed three or four back-to-back -back solid leadership roles by putting content out saying, hey, I'm on the market and this is what I want from my next employer. Uh, I have a couple of other frontline sales reps that have done the same thing and put content out there to say, I'm looking for my next job and here's my experience. And they get comments on the post that says, hit me up, I'm hiring. This is the way to get that job that you want, but you've got to earn it through great experience, grit, tenacity, actual skills that you're learning. You can't just put a post out there with nothing behind it and expect an employer to step forward and pay you six figures or even $50,000 a year. You have to have that clout about you. What steps have you taken to get started? What things are you investing in yourself with to help you become excellent at this job? What will you bring to the table as far as process, structure, and aiding the other employees that you work with? There is so much value in creating a presence that says, I'm worth it, invest in me. I'd invest in them. <laughs> What's the biggest difference, James, between qualification and discovery? Qualification is about us and discovery is about them. But I did see an interesting thing with Doug Landis that said discovery is dead because it's more about the, uh, the, the sellers than it is about the prospects. That's fair. How do you, okay, what's the workaround? So the workaround. Don't be hanging on that, James. So the workaround, according to Doug Landis, is to stop asking discovery questions too soon and start building more rapport to earn the right to discover. And that changes everything about the way the conversation unfolds moving forward. I love that because I'm a big fan of rapport building. When I came from B2C, I was like, where's all the rapport building in B2B? And yeah. I didn't see it. So how do you do that? We've talked already about customizing like emails and communication, personalizing, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, but how do you do that? How do you build rapport? Well, let's see. Oh, that's not fair, actually. I'm going to pause. It's easy for someone like you to build rapport because yeah. it's so natural. Right. How does the average person build rapport? So I think the average person needs to speak slower, number one. I struggle with that, too. You probably gathered that. Uh, I also think that we could ask more questions sooner, and that would probably help people to start talking. One of the things I know salespeople do By the way, the sound you hear poorly. is free healthcare. <laughs> well, we just talked about that earlier. <laughs> Someone is going to get saved at no charge right now. 
There they go. Heroes of the day in Canada. In Canada. The Canadian heroes don't wear capes. They ring bells and sirens to go save lives. Yes, yes. Yes, yes. We see you, heroes. Uh, all right, so... The, <laughs> so Doug, Doug states that building rapport is the way before you get into things like discovery, and discovery is all about the sellers and not necessarily about the buyers. Buyers don't care about what you need to know so you can sell to them. What buyers care about are the things that matter to them, so we have to ask them. So that's a good, quick, short question that an average seller, somebody without a big, giant personality like mine can do right away. Simply say, I'm calling because I want to learn more about your priorities. Here's what I know so far. List two or three things and then shut your mouth and let them say you're right or you're wrong or actually this is where we're spending our time right now or maybe I'm not interested yet. Right. That's okay. A response is still a response. You can say thank you for your time. Call them back and say, hey, last time I called, I brought up a couple priorities, but I missed the mark. Let me try again. Is that cool? And maybe you have a more human conversation with your prospect. Maybe they respect your tenacity. Right. Maybe they give a shit about what you're selling because you give a shit about them. It turns out that matters. According to Doug, most people shy away from discovery conversations because they are clearly self-serving and obvious tee-ups for pitches. That's fair. I like that. Pre-sales minute. Wait. Are we still calling it pre-sales? And is pre-sales hyphenated? Are we capitalizing the S? Okay, so for now it's just pre-sales, right? Yes? No? Okay, whatever. James, why do you hate sales engineers? Uh, they don't see things from the front lines ever. Carrie, why do you hate uh, sellers? Because they don't let sales engineers be on the front line. That's a dick move, Nick. <laughs> All right, let's, let's talk about communication skills because we talk all the time about how to communicate as an SDR or as an AE. How do you treat, uh, how do you teach sales engineers, Carrie, to be better presenters? Where does that conversation start? Well, it, it, it's self-awareness more than anything else. I, watch yourself, watch game tape, and no one does it. And that's the, the best indication of whether you're doing things well or not is to see yourself doing it. So I love that. I'm, I'm going to come to you, James, but I'm going to say that's a big argument that I always make because the reality is, is that I've never trusted people above me to train me. So I always need to self-coach by watching my own gongs. Every frontline rep will tell you that they can't sell and watch game tape at the same time. You can either spend my time selling or you can spend my time reviewing. I do think they should review their calls, but I think they should do it on their own time. Well, let's talk about that because, all right, we talk about sales engineers having this pack schedule, back-to-backs all day, but I look at a lot of AEs, they've got a 15 hours worth of time block and, and a big portion of that is cold calling. So where do you find that time as an SE, Kerry? I think the biggest way is to push back on a lot of the busy work that we get pushed into. Um, same as sellers. It's uh, We're going to get asked to fill out crap that can be templated that we shouldn't have to be repeatedly filling out. We're going to get asked to uh, jump on calls that are unqualified. Uh, so hold, hold the reps accountable that you work with to make sure that you're actually going into meetings and using your time expeditiously. Um, and that is justified. Your time is valuable. Make sure everybody knows it. So James, back to you now. Argue with me that there's more value than those 15 hours that are, that are on someone's calendar. 
I agree that there's more value, but where that value comes from and what it, what the time is spent on matters. Uh, you talk about holding reps accountable. I will tell reps to hold your leadership accountable and your sales engineers accountable for providing you with processes, structures, technologies, and APIs that actually help you do your job better. Um, the problem that we have with the 15 hours on our calendar is that not all of those 15 hours are actually productive. Um, I think that if you look at what can be taken away from salespeople, the busy work, as you mentioned, most of it's going to come down to things like list building. Uh, some of it's going to come down to data maintenance. I know many organizations, I'm looking at you, have terrible data and salespeople end up bearing the brunt of that heavy lifting throughout their day. One after another, we're updating record after record, not a good email address, bad phone number. You know, these steps, while they might take a millisecond, they add up over the course of the day. In addition to that, marketers, leaders everywhere are very quick to hand salespeople jobs that have nothing to do with revenue generation, but have the nerve to hold them accountable for that revenue in one-on-one -on -one meetings and make them feel like they did not perform when they weren't allotted the time to do so. I like that. So, Kerry, I come into a pre-sales organization and we're talking about busy work. Where can I chop off 20% of the time that is currently being used as busy work that when you go in, you're like, hey, wait a minute, you guys don't need to be doing this? Unqualified demos is the first one. Um, and I would qualify an unqualified demo as busy work. And so it comes down to putting better processes in place around the qualification step, putting better qualifications in place around pre-demo discovery. Uh, and better qualification around pre-demo prep. Unfortunately, you know, James and I, it sounds like we're sparring here on different sides of the, of, the, of the table, but at the end of the day, we need to be a team. And if we're not in lockstep together and prepping together and strategizing together, we're individually going to be less effective. James, same question to you. Where can we become more efficient as sellers? We can let go of the need to constantly say yes when we're handed something that doesn't aid us in getting to our quota. There's nothing wrong as a frontline rep with saying, hey, I'm happy to do this for you, but I haven't hit my quota yet. Is that going to impact the way that you expect this to be handed back to you? Because I have a priority as well. You're entitled to say those things and you should say them. From the sales engineer's side or the leadership piece, I think we have to understand that we hand people things and we have an expectation, but then we also have this underlying thing we're going to hold them accountable for long term, and sometimes those things conflict quite a bit. Communication is better than anything else in this instance. We have to be able to take feedback, and we can't label it complaining when it's something we don't want to hear, and I think that's what happens. We feel like somebody's complaining or they don't want to do their job, when in reality, they just want to do it better and more efficiently so that they can be more successful and the company can win more often. Who should be doing discovery in a transactional sale? That's a great question. In a transactional sale, the SEs should not be involved in that. That's just, and frankly, I don't know if an SE should be involved in a transactional sale ever at the end of the day. So it's, the, it's either the SDR um, who's qualifying or it should be the AE who owns that. So how do you get someone really good at discovery out of the gates? What are some of the JB sales methodologies for that? Yeah, so I open with short stuff, um, and I don't start with who I am and what, who I'm with and what I do. And I certainly don't want to give you any type of, like, history of our company because you don't care about that kind of shit. <laughs> That's the truth. You don't care about that. What you care about is how I can help you. And in order for us to start talking about that, I have to ask relevant questions early in the conversation. So instead of starting with those things I said not to start with, you want to start with things like, I'm calling because you do X and people like you need Y. Is that a conversation you want to have now or should we put something on the calendar? If they're interested, they're going to say, 
who are you? And this way you earn the right to say your name. Don't tell them who you're with yet. They don't care about that yet. Right? Instead, you say your name and you say, that's the reason I'm calling. I saw this happened at your company and I feel like that triggered me to pick up the phone and dial your phone number so we could have a real words conversation. These people want to be connected with. They don't want to be sold to. So we have to get to a point where they're willing to build the rapport and then drop the guard and actually start talking to us with a business conversation. That is the part that people need to focus on. I would definitely step away from the things that you hear typical SDRs open with about them and what they do and who they're with and why they do X, Y, and Z. This is not helping them to get to that next stage in the conversation where that person feels connected to what they're saying to you and they feel like you're trying to help them. Just for the record, I do care about the JB Sales backstory, and I'll tell you, after hanging out with you two gentlemen this morning, I feel like I live in a Guy Ritchie fucking movie. What's the one piece of tech that you wish every pre-seller had access to, Carrie? You know, it's a bit of a loaded question, but uh, demo automation is key. If we think about unqualified demos, or if we think about generic demos or harbor tours that are a total waste of our time because they're so repetitious, uh, the ability to automate those demos and send them out ahead of time so that prospects can qualify themselves in or out of the pipeline. And that when you get the information about what they've actually interacted with in your demo and your product, to have much more informed conversations when they do finally get in front of you personally, that's just critical uh, in terms of really reducing wasted time for SEs. I love that. What I love about being in Canada is that there's a security guard right here. So I don't know if we're going to be arrested or not, but he's waiting patiently for us to finish our shoot. So that works out well. Super polite. <laughs> Same question to you, James, real quick. What's the one piece of, of tech that you wish every seller just had access to, other than your CRM and all that? Like, what's, what's the one tool people are not aware of? I want to say Crystal Nose. Crystal Nose is a AI that attaches to LinkedIn, and it's a side panel that'll pop out and give you a Myers-Briggs breakdown of somebody's personality type. This is extremely useful for adjusting your approach when you do things like cold call or send an email or a video because it'll tell you what their likes are, the way they like to be approached, the things that they don't appreciate so you can avoid them. What you're working with here is brain chemistry and you're adjusting your approach to match your prospects' needs and the way that they respond favorably to other strangers that approach them. Very useful tool, Crystal Notes. Uh, Myers-Briggs, I'm going to guess that you're a campaigner. <laughs> I'm a teacher, actually. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. I wasn't expecting. You ever done the, uh, the Myers-Briggs test? Way long ago. I'm hoping I'm a different person today. <laughs> that's fair. Uh, so Toronto Eaton Center, and by the way, if you want to do one thing real Canadian, it's right there, Roots. you got to go get a salt and pepper hoodie from Roots. That's how you know if you're Canadian. They're not open yet, though, James. We'll, we'll walk over. I'm going to go over there, eh? A hot mic. I hit him in the spotlight. <laughs> Give me the spotlight. I throw it out like ding zing. That's the king thing. He drops notes like ding ling. We're in Toronto. You got any Drake? No, none. Move along. Graffiti Alley. Graf Graffiti Alley, Toronto. I shoot a lot of stuff in front of graffiti, and a lot of the way I shoot is like really quick cut video. And that actually comes from a Canadian comedian named Rick Mercer who shoots down here in these alleys, these quick cut stuff. Let's talk about content-led growth. Um, it was really interesting. We had a conversation earlier where... I talked to you about the opportunities in pre-sales for people to go out and create content. Um, you're starting to do more and more of that. How has that affected kind of your day-to-day -day of what you're doing as a business? It's about having uh, an echo chamber at the end of the day. We all want the biggest echo chamber we can get. Um, but the only way you grow your echo chamber is by giving people stuff that's going to help them in some way, shape, or form. Uh, so 
you know, the, I got great advice when I started this business up, which was when you go talk to somebody, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to want to find out why they should call you back or why they should answer the phone or why they should return that email. And they're going to look you up. And if they don't see a good reason to engage with you, then you've lost before you even got a chance to talk to them. So creating content is critical for everybody, no matter if you're trying to win a sale and you want to prove to that one prospect that you are the trusted expert they should talk to uh, about solving that particular problem they're looking to solve or uh, for anything else, you, you need to have content on online today. Self-developed social proof. James, you're in a much more competitive space. There's a lot of people talking sales training, sales enablement, sales advice. How, well, I know how you break through the noise, but how do you break through the noise? Uh, you know what? I don't fight the noise, actually. I'm part of the noise, and I think that's the, the thing that we all have to be. Uh, most of the time, we feel like we want to be the bigger, louder, talking head. I'm actually the opposite. I point a lot of people in the direction of my competitors because there's no right way to do sales. Pragmatism is the religion of sales. So we have to be able to find the things that work and learn from lots of different people that are out there providing. As far as content creation goes around that in the competitive space that I'm in, I actually see it as a very clear path that makes a lot of sense. Content is the road to connection. That connection should lead to a conversation. That conversation gives way to a relationship. Some people label this as trust. Once I have it, I should have no trouble uncovering or straight out asking for opportunities. And the law of averages says the more opportunities I have, the more sales I make. So that's the path that I see and the way it relates to content in the modern selling environment. It's almost like giving yourself your own referral in a way. <laughs> it really is though, right? Because I think it's a credibility thing. When people, 67% of all buyers say they look to social media before they decide whether to give a seller time. Whether that's LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, Facebook, doesn't matter. 67%. That's not peanuts. Because this is true, we have to show them something when they get there that says, I'm worth your time and you want to talk to me. I love that. Let's talk a little bit about communities and how to leverage them. And I think it's interesting, Carrie, because you and I spent a lot of time in the pre-sales collective, which is a fantastic community. How are some of the ways that you've leveraged pre-sales collective specifically uh, in your day-to-day? -day? I, I, I think community is amazing for everything, and pre-sales has been neglected until very recently. Pre-sales collective does a great job. Uh, sales engineers, or SE Nation does a great job. Uh, all the vendors now that are serving pre-sales are also doing a good job of engaging the community uh, with content, with enablement, with ways that they can help themselves. Um, the, I, I think it's been effective for a lot of people just to get a bigger platform. Um, whereas we may have our own limit in terms of our connections, uh, being able to leverage the communities exponentially increases your reach. So uh, they've been great just for introductions, but also for amplification of your message. So that's great, but let's dig into the nitty gritty of how that actually looks like. Because, you know, I've had a lot of success in Pavilion or Thursday Night Sales, and sure. I mentioned that to people, and they're like, okay, but what did you do? Mm -hmm. So I get into a great community, like JB Sales Community, that's right. and, you know, how do I actually take advantage of it, other than just showing up and kind of following what's going on? How do I engage? They say that you've got to give to get, and nowhere is there a better place to give than existing communities full of people that will appreciate it and respond positively and favorably. Um, in a lot of ways, I think salespeople forget that it's a give and get relationship that we're after with prospects and new, new clients and strangers. Because that's true, communities are a great place to drop those gives, see that engagement, see those comments, and then connect with those people on a very real level. And what you've done is you've already planted the seed of value in their mind, so they're more apt to give you that time, and they kind of look for that opportunity to get the value from you, which is kind of what we all want as sellers anyway. 
So how do you do that in a pre-sales community? Because there's a lot of, sometimes the talk gets very technical. So if I'm a new pre-seller, let's just say I went to the pre-sales academy, uh, but I pivoted out of, let's say, education. How do I get involved when a lot of the conversations are technical? I, I think the beauty of social media is most of the conversations that are happening online aren't technical. Uh, so while the, the, the products and services we're pitching may be very technical, um, how we communicate how to do our jobs better or for ourselves in our own companies how our product can solve problems better should be talking about solving business problems because even the most technical solutions at the end of the day are solving business problems so i think it's actually pretty easy you don't have to get into the technical stuff in most of the social stuff but james i have imposter syndrome how can i have how can what i know i'm so new how can that actually positively impact someone else i'm so afraid to pull the trigger on just commenting so imposter syndrome shows its ugly face in lots of ways. And, you know, I'll reference Amber Diber. She's an imposter syndrome expert that helps people that, that are in sales overcome imposter syndrome. Brandon Fluharty, a friend of ours, actually used her services to overcome his own imposter syndrome. And I think imposter syndrome impacts all of us differently, but it does it two times in our lives. Probably a few mothers, and Amber is the expert here. But the first one is this element of I'm... I'm new to this and someone's going to find out that I'm a phony, I'm fake, I, I don't really know what I'm doing. And that's the first level. For me, the second level was I'm unworthy of this. And that part is a lot harder to overcome, but it's much more gratifying and a lot more rewarding when you recognize the fact that you, know, you are in that port of your life and that career and you're ready to move forward onto the next stage. You're very lovable and likable. Don't be afraid. Just step and the ledge will appear. Okay, just step. <laughs>